I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Resource Real Talk about real estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. Back for another episode. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, We have the new podcast that's out right now. Remember, if you're listening now and you haven't listened to Hour 502, make sure to check it out. But today we're back for another episode of Resource. More tips for you, more tactical advice that you can use in your business today. And today's episode was one we were inspired by pretty simply because something that we do on this team, and Jay, you can speak to this a lot, uh, is tracking our metrics, maybe to an insane degree, I would almost say. It's it's very tactical. Okay. Very tactical. Thing. I managed to get the word out in the first You definitely the got it out in the first 30 seconds. The intro to the episode, tactical. Yeah. Let's get tactical. We, we still need t-shirts. Resource Marcy. We should probably welcome the new addition to the podcast room for... <laughs> Recording she's, today. She's giving we? us the, the kill sign. She's right giving now. us no, the no. kill sign. Our, there's not a camera for our you. Newest, our newest producer, Miss Marcy Humble. Welcome. She doesn't have a mic, so she's not going to say hi. But no. Um, she plays a big part of our tactical role of tracking, too. I, that was one of the things I want to talk about, and I'm glad that she's here, is we're talking about all of the different metrics that our, tra- our team tracks. Now, so the obvious ones that you guys are all thinking about you know, GCI and how many units are closed and all these different average things. sales price. Of list, course, we're tracking that sales stuff. price ratios, things like that. Exactly. But when I say to an insane degree, I mean, we're tracking things that would blow your head up. We have a spreadsheet. How many years in the making is this monster? spreadsheet? I mean, it's a decade in the making. Like Marcy and I have really, really picked up. Well, I should say Marcy has picked up. She manages this thing. But um, at, at somewhat my direction, we have picked up the pace to like light speed. We've, it's expanded. It's like 184 tabs. Mm-hmm. Like if we lost this thing, which by the way, we need to talk redundancy here. If we <laughs> lost this thing, we would be in trouble. It's like the holy grail. of this it, is, it is the absolute holy grail of spreadsheets. And so point being, uh, we track a lot of things, and we track some things that you may not think to track. And these metrics give us a lot of meaning. Um, they allow us to make decisions on the fly. They allow us with you know some tweaks, some things, some culture things about our team that we've kind of hacked to collect the right data. We've been able to manipulate it in such a way to give us the kind of of information we need to make decisions on the fly. Exactly. And if you remember back in season one, we had an episode where we talked about uh, KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. And we talked about leading and lagging indicators. It was very philosophy heavy on why we track what we track. But today, like we said, we want to keep it tactical. And so today's episode is the top five metrics that your team is probably not tracking right now that you should be tracking. So I want to dive right in. We've come up with a list of five of the metrics that we track that maybe is something that you're not tracking right now, but is is vitally important for our team. So Jay, first one first, let me talk to you about commission percentage on each transaction. We're tracking that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talk often about on this podcast about, you know, antitrust and like the theory behind commission and what, what commission compression Mm -hmm. compression has, has taken place in the marketplace what consumers have come to expect. But I think 
probably uh, have no no data to back this up, but I think that realtors are actually fairly good at goal setting. Okay. Fairly good. I take it a step further. I believe we should be talking about at the beginning of each year, we should be talking about projections versus goals. That it's it's a little less um, you know, mythical. It's a little less you know, um, air, you know, like kind of airy and out in the, it's more concrete in yeah. the ethos. It's more concrete. Like I want to project because I have a business. I want to project the revenue that that business is going to create. I know what my expenses are. I can budget expenses. I need to project revenue. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a relative amount of certainty that comes along with those projections. So goals are one way to put it. I think we're pretty good at goals. I think, Making distinction between distinction between goals and projections is important. Okay, I think that in addition to that, you know, you should make reasonable assumptions to arrive at those projections. An average sales price would be a good thing that I think a lot of people are probably tracking. Yeah, a lot of people know what segment of the market they want to serve. They want to be luxury. They want to be investor. They want to be somewhere in the middle. You know that kind of thing. And and I think they probably know how to get um, to get into the market they want to get in. What they may not consider in the face of commission compression, okay, discount brokerage, a lot of the themes that we've talked about that have developed, they may not know what commission percentage to use when arriving at those projections. You may have an average sales price mm-hmm. that you feel relatively confident in. But your commission that you're, you're having use, on each transaction might be fluctuating, right? It might be. Based on the niche that you serve, new construction tends to be slightly lower or higher depending on how your market is. Uh, investors sometimes lower. If you list multiple properties for the same person, there's a good chance you're going to cut them a deal. If you're um, selling really low-priced property, then a lot of times the flat rate commissions exceed the the norms, the three, four, five, six percent that you might see. But if exactly. you're if you're in the market median and you're just using three percent for your one transaction side projection, you might be off base. Oh yeah, and, and especially if you're if you're forecasting out your entire year at three points aside all year long. You know, if that's not what your business is, that doesn't reflect your business, then that number is not going to be what you arrive at. I mean, think about, think about if you're projecting 3% based on a 3% commission and your average is closer to two and a half. Okay. That is a, you know, 16 and a half percent difference. Okay. So most businesses can't survive a 16 and a half percent Missed projection. It's a pretty, it's on a revenue. pretty uh, large delta between expectation. A- absolutely, and reality. if your business generates two hundred thousand a year, that's thirty two thousand dollars that you just misplaced. Yeah, um, pretty pretty staggering. I, I I I think you have to know based on historical performance where your commission percentage should be projected, or you should project low, right, and then outperform your projections. Yeah, and this one is the first one, too, because it kind of sets up a theme here. All of these are things that you might think are pretty straightforward, like, I know what our average commission percentage is. It doesn't change that much, but really, you don't know until you start to track these things heavily, and you start to see the patterns. You can't make accurate projections, and that's what all of the things on this list have in common. Absolutely. You good? I'm going to go to the next one. No, no, I, I think I think it's important. You just, that that's pretty simple. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Um, you know, 
commissions are not standard. You need to know where your standard lies. Absolutely. Speaking of standards, the next one has to do with prospecting. And a lot of different teams and even individual agents track their prospecting time, uh, You know, track the number of calls that they make or track the number of conversations they have versus attempts. There's all kinds of ideas out there. But the one that our team focuses on specifically is hours prospected. Talk a little yeah. bit about why it's that and not some of these other options. Well, for us, you know, we, we, we've done the, the power dialing and the, you know, really trying to like get after the phones to generate new business. We're a team that makes a substantial commitment to internet lead, you know, generated business, you know, you know, substantial enough for us to, you know, put 25 to 30% of our resources, you know, in terms of expense towards that. So I guess what I want to know is I want to know that we're spending that money efficiently and that we're generating an appropriate amount of revenue. But for me, dials, contacts, conversations, uh, what's a meaningful interaction? Like what, you know, we'll get to probably this, this will be explained a little more in the next metric, but, um, Gabe, I don't think dialing, you know, however many, what is it? 10 numbers into a phone. Yeah is reflective of value being created in terms of prospecting. We basically looked for a metric that was reasonable, measurable, but not so much minutia attached. Because I don't care if you're dialing 10 numbers just to dial 10 numbers. I really don't care if if you dial a thousand times and produce zero results. Like it's very easy to skew your numbers and your value associated with the activity. And I don't, I just didn't want to burden my team with it. Well, and it's it's worth noting, too. We're talking about all these specific, specific tracking things. And now this one's kind of broad, right? It's worth mentioning that we have done that in the past, correct? I mean, we've tracked by dials. We've tracked by contacts, uh, contacts versus attempt. We've tracked by meaningful conversation versus leaving a message. Like, we got as into the weeds as you can get. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the discovery was that the simplest and most effective uh, KPI to track here was how much effort, how much time out of your day did you spend yep. pursuing this activity, which is just prospecting in general. So maybe this is the most broad one out of all the ones that we track, but it's we arrived there after trying all the specific I ones. I mean, yeah, we got we got so deep, like pieces of paper where you make little X's over numbers. Oh, is a circle for this, an a X circle for that, this, a green, green highlight, highlight for, for that, that, yellow highlight for this. Yeah. I mean, follow up calls to these so these people. Look, I just want to trust my salespeople who are good. Yep. You, you know when we did that. When we had some people that weren't such good salespeople, sure, we made them do things that not good salespeople do, and it was not particularly easily, particularly it, easy to get a lot of buy-in on that either. It, it was terrible. Like we got a bunch of fake it kind of numbers, yeah, a bunch of feigned attempts, a bunch of you know, like serious, seriously, just like showing up and going through the motions. Now here's what we have: we have people that appreciate the fact that I don't micromanage I don't micromanage them and guess what they go out and they sell some freaking real estate yeah and that and that it's it's so funny how that parallel is drawing for me again it's about results we have minimum standards but they're about results yeah they're not about I mean look if you I'm sorry but if you put forth the effort and the result doesn't follow there's a skill problem if I help you if I give you the means to to increase your skill set and the results don't follow then you might just not be good at this yeah and you might not ever be. And that's okay because I'm sure there's something you are great at. 
it's just not going to be on my team forever. Yeah. Like dragging everybody else down. Yeah. The truth. I mean, so when you focus on results, there you go. But it's interesting. Like you said, you find these things out, not by hyper managing these people into oblivion. You do it by giving them the freedom and the space to do it. And then you watch what they do. Absolutely. That makes sense. Well, let's talk, let's go on to the next one too. This is the third thing in the list of five that we came up with. And this one's kind of a, I think we're going to be able to offshoot on this one. So this one might take some more time, but we track the number of first appointments that people go on. So we should be clear about what we're saying here. We, we obviously do track how many appointments we set and we track how many appointments we go on, but we specifically track the number of first appointments and we're, and sometimes we call this a unique opportunity also. Yeah. Well, you can show the same couple a hundred homes on a hundred different occasions, but that doesn't mean that you're only going to end up with one sale at the end of that. Yeah, you don't like you don't say, well, this week we're going to see two houses this weekend, so that's my second appointment with them. You drastically you drastically them. skew your numbers if you count the number of face to face interactions times with you a leave particular the particular client. <laughs> yeah, the number of times you leave the office. Really, we're about tracking, you know tracking things that matter, things that move the needle. When you meet with somebody for the first time, that is a unique opportunity. If a, if a transaction results from that interaction, then that's a conversion, right? Yeah. And, and you can take any number of inferences about your performance from that, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. Quick wrinkle. What do we? What do you say we do in the event of a repeat client? Because we do have some clients. It's who do another repeat unique business. opportunity. That's a second unique. That's opportunity a second unique. Opportunity. It's a second transaction. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so first appointment in that buying cycle, right? If you're talking about someone's home that they live in, they're only going to move so often, mm-hmm. right? If you're talking about an investor, they're only going to take on so many investment opportunities. If if so and so buys a rental house. That's an opportunity. When they finish that one, they say, hey, Jay, I'd like to buy another one. That's another opportunity. But not if you showed them houses in the spring and they gave up because the summer market was too competitive, and then they call you back in winter and say, we're nope. ready to look again. Same this client. is all part of the same cycle. Same opportunity, same cycle, same you know relationship yielding a specific result. And it's important to track it this way. Why? Because you want to know how effective you are. You want to know, you want to know if someone expresses to you that, You've had, look, Gabe, any metrics, any metric that you want to track, there is an opportunity for skew. Sure. There is an opportunity for false positive. There is an opportunity for, you know, arriving at at an unexpected result. The point is, is that when you scale that over a lot of opportunities, a lot of input, a lot of inputs, if you will, um, you're going to arrive at some, at some, reliable kind of trends. Mm -hmm. We want to be at 50% of unique opportunities resulting in a closed transaction. Right. Okay. Now we can get in the weeds. That's 70% of 70% equals 49%, which we round up to 50. 70% of unique opportunities should result in exclusivity, Mm -hmm. meaning the agent earns the opportunity to work with that client exclusively with no other agents involved. Okay, and 70% of those exclusive clients become a closed transaction. Right. That's our that's where we strive. So um but it's it's much easier to skip a step if you have challenge like let's say somebody's at 20%. Well, let's let's drill down and let's see are you getting exclusivity? Are you asking? You and you and I have had this conversation I don't know how many times. 
you know, are you asking for that exclusivity? Yeah. Okay. If you're asking for it, you tell me. I asked for it, Jay. They said yes. Fantastic. Okay. Where's the breakdown after that then? Or are you not asking? If you're not asking, then you're essentially providing a service that no one really ever intended on using, and that's another problem. Right. And I do want to talk about that here in a second. But the other point that I was going to make along these lines is if you're not tracking this in your office right now, especially if you're a team leader, this can eliminate a lot of the confusion you have when you have an individual on your team who is constantly running. They are out and they are with clients all day long. And that can seem like a great problem to have, right? We talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, busyness is the, is the best thing. If you're busy, you're working, right? But if you, have an, if you have an agent on your team who's, you know, going, like leaving the office three or four times a day, they're showing houses here, they're meeting someone at Starbucks here, but you look at these KPIs and that week when they had 12 appointments they had to meet for on their calendar, only three of them were unique opportunities. They're just meeting these people and they have more business to do with them. Then you can start to see why are there why are their closed transactions this low? It's because they're spending a lot of time with their clients. They're already working, yeah. but they're not generating new opportunities for themselves and new business. I mean, you can you can you can daisy, you start to pull. You the can daisy back. chain this as far as you want to go. Okay, so let's think about it like this. Let's let's say you're really busy. Mm-hmm. You're going on a lot of showings, hundred miles an hour, all hundred miles an hour all the time. Can't keep it keep all the balls in the air. You got a few pending transactions, but you're not hitting our our minimum standards or you're certainly not trending towards achieving your goals. So let's, let, let's start it from there. Okay. Gabe, you, you are the agent I'm in question. Okay. You, you haven't, you haven't generated enough unique opportunities. So how can you be so busy? Well, Jay, I've got a pipeline. I, these are, these are backlog of unique opportunities from such and such. The market slowed down inventory, blah, blah, blah. All these excuses, I'm right? Still working with all these people. You're still yeah. working with these. Okay. So let's examine that. Okay. So you're working with this many buyers. You're showing this many homes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Great. Sounds good. Why are they not buying? Well, there's nothing out there for them to buy. Okay. Well, what's this one looking for? This one's looking for this. They're da, 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 da. Now the know? diagnosis reveals what, what is the, the diagnosis reveals what? Okay. That they're not likely to achieve the goal that they set out to achieve. And you as a practitioner, have not explained in a respectful way to stay in rapport to them that they need to change their strategy. So instead you're wasting your gas money, Mm -hmm. you're wasting your time and you're not going to achieve your goals because as is the case, far greater percentage than it should be. You refused to have a difficult conversation effectively. Yeah, exactly. So by doing this, by working down this list and by having these metrics at your fingertips, literally to look at on your spreadsheet, you can where's the qu- bottleneck yeah you can quickly find out is it because you're struggling to move these people to contract or they're, they're not comfortable enough with you to commit to the process is it because yeah. you haven't managed their expectations properly there's a whole list of things that you can run down but until you have these metrics where you can find out there is a problem you're not going to be able to solve the problems you don't know you have oh we literally i mean gabe we can we can give with the massive spreadsheet we talked about we can give percentages of appointment to lead. We can give percentage of appointment that is consult versus showing. Yeah. We can say percentage of showing or consult to contract written or offer made percentage offers accepted percentage accepted offers to closings. I mean, we can go list goes on right down and you can follow the percentage points as they descend as you filter tighter as you filter title and tighter and tighter toward the bottom of the funnel to see. And and we could even cross. We can even overlay deal source agent team agent. Which team agent is this? We can do team as a whole. There's a whole lot of stuff. And and I don't want to get so deep into it, but you need to understand that we can 
literally put our finger on the bottleneck. Absolutely. Because you watch these percentages descend in an orderly fashion and then they fall off the table. And you go, okay, that's where your skill ne- that's where your skill needs improvement. Exactly. I want to go back to one of the ones you said specifically. Here on the team we talk a lot about the difference between especially when we're talking about with buyer clients here mostly, but uh, the difference between taking someone on a showing, a new opportunity on a showing. So you call them or they call you whatever and you meet them at the house to show them the property versus meeting at a neutral location, a coffee shop, the office, whatever, for a consult where you're meeting with yeah. them and we talk about why that's important. And it, it leads into what you were talking about, getting exclusivity, which is one of the things that we track. What, why do you think there's a huge difference between meeting someone at the house and meeting someone at the office for a consult? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, real estate is extremely voyeuristic. Okay, people satisfy Thank their, you, Zillow. Yeah, they, they satisfy their desires, their needs, their dreams, their imagination with shopping on the internet and seeing homes in person. Okay. Okay, that's a logical logical step from mm-hmm. one to the next. So when they, when they look online, they satisfy a certain amount of curiosity. When they take the next step, they're satisfying more curiosity. Very basically, if they're committed to buying a home, faceless home, yep. right? Like inanimate, just the concept very, of a home, the concept of a home and they understand the need for representation then they'll engage a professional to be consulted about the process so that they can have success. That's a commitment to the professional rather than the process. It's also commission. It's also a commitment to the process. Sure. But, but it's sometimes hard for us to see through the veil. Exactly. Okay. I don't know when I show someone a home first, how committed they are to the process versus the pretty pictures they saw online of this. Exactly. Home. So what and I don't know how committed they are to me. You, oh yeah. And you don't know any of that until after the meeting probably. And you have to lay those seeds. But when we talk about laying the seeds of exclusivity, right. And preparing these people for the, you don't know how much they understand about the process at all. But when someone agrees to meet you at a house, it could be for any number of reasons. It could be because the house, they love the pictures, just like you said. And they when you get, go... They want to get decorating tips. Yeah, and you're just a ghost. You could un- unlock the door for them, and they walk through, and they forget you're there. When they meet you at the office, though, there's only one thing they're there to see, and it's you. They're that's there to worse, see the professional. That's worst case. Um, worst case, sure. That's worst case scenario is that they're there just to see the pretty pictures. Yeah. It doesn't happen often that they... It doesn't happen often that they are literally they're 100% detached. Yeah. Okay. It, it's 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 always somewhere in the middle, Gabe. Yeah. And and you know, as but your a, job is harder. You have more obstacles to overcome to convince them that they should work with you when you're in the house and that's their primary focus. Absolutely. You're constantly wrangling their focus trying to convince them why they should work with you. When they meet with you for a consult, those obstructions fall away and you get to have the conversation. So let let me be clear a hundred times out of a hundred, I will opt for a consult prior to a showing. Sure. If given the opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I believed with 100% certainty that the person will show up for the consult after committing to the consult, which is a whole nother thing. We can, we can track appointment show rates and all that stuff. Yeah. But if I'm a hundred percent confident that someone will show up, if you can give me certainty, I take, I take a consult a hundred times out of a hundred versus a showing. Okay. I only take a showing because the interaction does not allow for me to remain in rapport and explain to them why it's necessary that they take a consult prior to a showing. Mm -hmm. Okay. I understand the amount of risk I'm accepting 
when I go to a showing prior to a consult. And I'm doing that having relied upon my ability to build rapport in the conversation separate from the house, like instill motivation and, and attachment to me and my service by giving advice uh, and, and feeling like I'm at a comfortable place to where I can show them the home. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that is another opportunity to build additional rapport and bind them to me and my service. Yeah. You're building up your foundation here and making your job easier, which is why we track them separately and we have our finger on what's happening when we go on consults versus when we go on showings it's not to say agents on this team you cannot go on any showings until you've held a consult first that's not what it's about it's more about we need to know what's happening when bob on our team goes on a consult first and what happens when bob meets them at the house well okay so think about it like this does anyone on our team have as much experience as me Probably not, no. Has anybody sold as many homes as me? No. Has anybody been stood up on appointments more than me? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) No. Has anybody, you know, encountered as many raw deal type situations as me? No. No. I've seen it all. Yeah. Okay? So I have the experience. I know how to handle it. I know how to coach them through it, which means because they don't have the experience, I can't rely on them to know these things as certainly as I do. So as a leader, I have to be able to track how effective they are at their job. Yeah, and then like, you have something empirical to show yeah, them, I've right? I've got time and money invested in this enterprise. I have to know how capable they are at doing their job. I can't just take their word for it. Of course, I would love to have this, some, some confirmation in the numbers, and we do. We yeah. evaluate each and every you know team member's numbers on a regular basis. But the truth is, is that if I know that that Gabe gets stood up on a lot of appointments. Okay. I'm going to have to coach that. If I know Gabe never gets stood up, I'm going to find something else to give my time and energy to in order to help you get better. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say a minute ago before I moved on. Another key thing this can help with has to do with no shows. Like you said, you might have an agent in the office, uh, Bob, who sets, you know, three appointments a day. He just lights up the phone. He walks in, appointments fall from the sky, and he leaves. And he's just a superstar. And then you've got Steve, who sets, you know, an appointment or two a week. And so you're like, man, Steve, you need to be more like Bob. But when you look at these metrics, what do you find out? Steve goes on 100% of the appointments he sets, and Bob sets three every day. And it's a shotgun versus a sniper rifle. Exactly. Okay. And until you see, like, you might be telling Bob that he needs to be, or Steve, that he needs to be more like Bob, right? You need to set more appointments every day. When really... The guy that's setting all these appointments is setting no-show appointments with people who don't plan Look, to show up. There's something to one shot, one kill, right? Yep. I mean, like that's where I'm at in my business. Yeah, where like, would you rather be? I don't do a consult on every client. Sure. I don't. But let me tell you, I know with with supreme certainty who's serious and who's not, and I know who I have to and who I don't. Like I'll go on a show first showing with a new client mm-hmm. if if I know they're bound to me, if they're committed to me. I mean, I've said it before, and it's a joke. It's a joke, a running joke around the office that people ask me, "Jay, do you think you've got time to show me? <laughs> We'd like to write a cash half million dollar offer." Like, yes, yeah, absolutely. When I know they're serious, I do that. Exactly. Um, but but that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. And I want to bounce off of no shows, which is one of the big disappointments in real estate, to maybe the biggest disappointment in all of real estate, which is when you have the unfortunate contract release, right? All yep. of us have been through releasing a contract, but that is actually one of the things that we track pretty diligently too. We track all of our release contracts. Well, I want to know what percentage of bad deals 
you know, how many of your deals ready. go sideways? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very telling. I mean, I'd have to, I'm going to have to look at Marcy here and, and see if she can give me a little nod. Are we, what are we at a team? About 15%? 18%. So we're at 18%, okay. which is not, I mean, I'm not happy with that. I'd like to be in the single digits. That's 18% of all, con- all contracts written end up being yeah. released. 18% of all, not written, accepted, ratified. Accepted. Yeah. Not offers. Um, and that's both listings and that's both listings and buy sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that you are equally at fault as an agent on the list side or the buy side. You may say that most buyers, initiate release of contract based on inspections typically, but the the listing agent should have set the proper expectation for the seller as to what they would expect coming away from an inspection and how, but one thing I'll say, and I, and I'll rationalize and I'll, I'll be okay with an 18% release rate because the market is extremely contentious right now between buyers and sellers. The, The scarcity of inventory makes, um, makes it such that the adversarial the relationship between buyer and seller is extremely adversarial. Right. So, but we've got honestly, to be 1000% honest, we've got a t- we've got team members at 30%. That is really unacceptable. So there's a lot of coaching going on on how to hold deals together and how not to write bad deals. Yeah, because what what is more likely that deals go sideways because of something in the middle of the process or because they were doomed to go sideways all along cuz well, something wasn't set up. Well, it may not be quite it may not be doomed, yeah, but the but the stage was set. The stage was set. Okay. I like that. Yeah, the, the, they weren't. The, the negotiation was extremely contentious because something the agent, could have been a bolt somewhere could have been tightened to prevent it to to help to give it much less of a percentage. Like, look, I'm looking for the the delta between where we're at and where I'm really happy is seven eight percent. If I can get to ten from eighteen, we're great. Yeah, that's good. We're great. That's a good move. One in ten. One in ten is fine for me. Right now in this climate, okay, but but that percentage can be ratcheted down by doing a couple of things. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said before, we don't want to get it confused with offer acceptance rate, which is no. also something that we track for totally different reasons. But this is the deals that are under contract that end up falling apart for one reason or another. I mean, let's be clear. You should probably be tracking all these things. Yeah. Okay. The things that you, the five things that we're gonna we're gonna share with you today. I guess we, that was number four. Yeah, we have one so, more. So, so the four that we've shared and the one that we're about to share with you are things that you probably not thought of. And how what percentage of deals get released? Most people want to forget a deal oh, yeah, forever on yeah, once it's it been released. Okay, and not revive the the bad taste in anyone's mouth associated. They just want to turn the page. For me, look, I know that we have agents on our team that get like. 99% of their offers accepted and never and rarely have two to 3% release rates. Yeah. Those agents are rock solid and I want to spend my time on helping them find more clients yep. or perfecting their schedule or because if you tee efficient. it up for them, they knock it out. Yeah. If, if they've get an opportunity, they crush. Yep. And so, but, but it happens to everybody, even the but, best. It happens the sometimes. Hamsters on a wheel that spin those tires that spin that wheel and never get anywhere. Those are the ones that, really wear me out because you work too hard Mm -hmm. to find a deal to lose it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said, this is not just a a function to help you relive painful moments from your year. It's to help you figure out where coaching is needed, where, you know, specific tweaks are needed. That's what all of these have in common. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and move on to number five, which everybody that's listening to this, you know, in tracking 101, they're tracking their closed deals. Like, duh. That's what everybody is tracking. But one of the things we specifically track for our, the team as a whole and for our team members is your closed deals and your pending deals together. 
as a, yeah. as a compilation. So why is that instead of having them separate? Well, it's important to look, I mean, closed deals is, is good. You want to know what, where are you at for the year? How many where, deals where are you, you at for the year? But when you combine closed and pending, so we, we've, our industry, we've got a lead time on production, right? Yeah. Like if you can take your closed and pending transactions together, you can examine the relationship between the number of closed you have and the number of pending you have at any one point in the year. Um, specifically, like like a t- like right now, we're we're late spring, early summer, mm-hmm. right? Knowing the seasonality of our business, you've got you know busiest times are ahead for this year, and then there comes a point in time, usually around August, where things slow down a little bit. And then they pick back up a little bit once people get settled into school, and then they kind of run, at least here in Louisville, they run to about Thanksgiving, and then we close up shop for the year, and we're preparing at that point for the following year. It's kind of the normal cycle. That's the yeah. normal cycle. So, But right now, you can look back just ahead of end of Q2. You can cycle back, and you can say, okay, what do I have, what do I have under contract that is reasonable has a reasonable expectation of closing plus what have i already closed and it gives me a better indication of where i'm going to end up it gives me a pace it gives you direction gives me momentum like i can read how much momentum we have by looking at closed and pending yeah like i mean right now our team has 68 pendings we've got about 110 closings okay so so if you think about that that's pretty staggering like that's a large number of pending transactions as compared to the number of closings we have. Number of closings in roughly five months, 110, that's about 22 a month. Yeah. Okay. But when you bolt on 68 more pending transactions, all of a sudden you start all to of realize. a sudden in the next 30 days there, we have a reasonable chance of closing 45 or 50 of those. In it, the next and you 30 know your days. close rate because you're tracking your and close you know, rate. Too. You know your close rate. You can probably you can probably factor in some attrition there. So this percentage, 18% are usually going to not close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if you back that out, we've got a reasonable expectation that we could close 50 transactions. What does 50 through six months do for your yearly average per month versus 22 the, where you were at the month before? Yeah, exactly. So, so 150 divided by six takes your average to closer to 30 transactions per month. We're gonna in one month's time, we're gonna raise our average from 22 to 30 almost. There you go. And now, you, and you know that because, and the simplest way to describe this is if you're talking about just tracking your closings, you have your x-axis and your y-axis, right? Yep. The months of the year and the number of deals you close. If you're just tracking your closings, it's like on a stamp on the board. It's That's one it. dot on the graph. But closed you, and pending is a living figure. Exactly. When you have closed and you have pending, now you have a relationship. You have what you actually have a graph. You have a line. You have yep. something that that denotes you know momentum in one direction or another. And now you can actually start to make predictions based off of it. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's not like the beginning of every year. It's like we wipe the slate clean and we get real optimistic and we say, "What can we do? This, this is the year. This yep. is the year. Best year ever." Yep. You know. To, Old Tom Ferry. Every Which year. why be any other way? Every year it sounds is hokey, but every, why would you say this year's just going to be okay? Like yeah, every year is BYE, and 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 uh, according to Mister Ferry, which that's great. It's, it, it's I like get I said, it. that's like, why his would game. You, why would you act any other way? That's sure. his game. So, but you wipe the slate clean every year. You get real optimistic about what you're going to do, and it's real easy to fall victim to that. Like end of the first quarter, you never ever look at your goals again for the rest of the year. This is for us allowed us to stay out in front, to stay engaged in the number, okay? 
you know, I've we've fallen victim to setting lofty goals and having li- little chance at achieving them in the past. But this year, we're on pace. And I know we're on pace because I can keep track of our pendings alongside yeah. of our closed. Exactly. You know the relationship at any given point in time, and you can forecast out the So year. let me ask you this. We're at 110 closed. It's almost the end of it's almost the end of May. Okay. Okay. Almost. 110, 22 a month. Okay. okay? Um, our goal is 350. If you just in a vacuum look at that 22 a month average for five months, yeah. you would say we have very little chance of hitting our goal. Yeah. In the months that we have left, if we're averaging 22 a month. I mean, just take 22 times 12. It's like 250. Yeah. We're going to be 100 units shy. Yeah. And that's it's, without it's even a little factoring more, in seasonality effects like we were talking about. Exactly. It's a little more it's a little more than 250 when you think about it like that. And yes, yeah, seasonality would have you like some of the some of the shyest These are the rawest to raw. So yeah. so January and February is some of the shyest closing months of the year because the slowest sales months are November and December. Right. So they're immediately following those slow sales months. So yeah, seasonality is makes that absolutely misleading but if you just look at that but if all of a sudden you add in 68 pendings wait so yeah you're at what was the number 122 is that what you said or what did you say was the number we have closed right now 110 110 plus 68 yeah and now you have 68 that are pending right now like now you're at at 180 yeah through six months yeah 180 through six is 30 average so now you're talking about 360, not 250. Now you're above. Now you're above. Now, now you're ahead of pace. Exactly. So that's that's the thing that you have to consider. Now we're not quite ahead of pace because you back 18 percent release rate off, and you consider the fact that there's more math. You know anything yeah. anything that sells in November December may not. Yeah, but close. we're sure not at 250. The point yeah. is, we're not 100 off. We're pretty well on pace. Exactly. And and as we go month to month, quarter to quarter, we will know how to adjust because we have these figures in front of us. Absolutely. That's the key. That's what all of this is about, and that's why we specifically want to talk about this today. When the more things that you track, the more important things that you track. Like don't track dumb stuff, that doesn't matter. But the more important things that you track that can be used as KPIs, key performance indicators, things that will predict your future success or failure, you start to have this almost supernatural ability to change the course of your business mid-year. You don't have to wait till the end of the year to review your stats and say, wow, what happened last year? You know what's happening this month. You know what's happening this week. You know what's happening for this team member this moment because you have it all in front of you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, in, in the spirit of, I'm going to make up a word, tacticality, tacticalness. I'm making this face because I'm trying to think if it actually is a word. I don't know if it is or not. Ta- In the spirit of, of providing tactical, practical advice. <laughs> Hashtag tacticality. That's practical, hard. tactical. Th- this is going to be a t-shirt, Marcy. It's <laughs> happening. Um, no, in the interest of being tactical, like how? How do you track all these things? Sure, that's a great question. Okay, number one, it's a lot of effort. Mm. Okay, Like you a said, lot it's a decade of in the making. Ours is. Any system is the system you work right? Any process that you can put in is what you work. How do we do it? I'll tell them how we do it. We gamify it with the team. The hardest part of any team leader or broker at tracking appropriate metrics buy-in. Is, is, is buy-in, but, but, but you have to have buy-in in collection. Mm-hmm. Like remember I said, we used to hand out pieces of paper and they put little scratch marks on them. Like that is a pain in the ass to, to now you need even a data if, entry person even on if staff. they give it to you, and it's correct, which you can't even make that assumption because it's so painful to collect. You know they're just scribbling stuff down. And one person's got it in their bag, and they're out for the weekend and just like oh, It's just a pain. It. So what did we do? We tied this, and here's my advice. You need to, if you're running a team, you need to have a, 
public forum for your team only, not public as in the sense that your yeah. clients see it, but a, a team-wide a, a team, uh, meeting space. A team-wide digital. digital meeting space that allows them, and, and I suppose you could do it with a whiteboard at your Monday meeting, but you, it's better if it's digital. Because um, then it's up to the minute. It's up to the minute, and you need a method of collection that is easy, okay, and it allows them to gain praise, public praise within your team construct in order for prov- um, in exchange for providing the data. Yeah. Now, that, that's a lot of big words, so here's how we do it. Yeah. We have a form, an electronic form. We distribute it via a link. They save it as a, as a shortcut, uh, on, shortcut their on their home screen of their phone. Yeah. And every time they do something. That is a KPI, something that we is want one to of track. A, one of our inputs, okay, something that we deem valuable. Every time they fill out that form, it pushes a message to the group conversation that everyone is a part of. We use slack.com for this and com forms. Uh, they talk to one another and mm-hmm. with Zapier and some integrations that is, it's not the hardest thing in the world to set up, but it's a little tedious and yep. Marcy definitely manages all that. And that's how we've been able to, to keep this running. They, they push their success into a group forum and it posts it for everyone to see that team, team member a just held a consult or team member a just had a closing team member a just did an hour of prospecting. Yeah. That's a big one. You know, team member B just had a $500,000 closing team member C just, you know, went on a listing appointment and got it, you know, listing appointment held listing taken listing taken. When you see those two together, that's a big moment for celebration. Anytime you see appointment, uh, you see offer written, you're waiting. Like, is there a pending? The whole team is waiting with bated breath, right? We saw that, you know, Agent A wrote an offer. Is it going to get when's accepted? It, when's tonight? it going to get accepted? How, how long do they have to respond? Like we're shouting each other's success. And now everyone's involved. Everyone's a part of it. Everyone's involved. It's a huge culture lift. Okay. And I'm collecting all the data I need because tracking, it's, tracking, it's all tracking, right yeah. there in that form. Like I got to ask him, okay, you wrote an offer. What was the price? What was the address? Who was the client? Who, wh- you know, what was and the you're not sending rate? emails on Friday at four o'clock. Saying, in the afternoon, send me like, your hey, numbers. I didn't get your numbers for this week. Where are your numbers? Oh, I forgot to take the numbers. Like that's yeah. not happening. To I mean, you. there's look, there, it's not foolproof. Some people forget, but man, is it easier, but it's so much easier when you know that there is positive reinforcement on the other side, and it there is no single thing that we do as a team that has contributed to a greater team culture than this process. Exactly, and it's the most valuable thing that team team um, leaders across the country, brokers and team leaders across the country, are struggling to solve this issue. Okay, it's really that simple. Shout them out in a group forum. How many times do these conversations end up in emojis and? You know, funny, funny uh, memes getting posted. Yep. I mean, like, you give you give a a group of intelligent people the and funny and fun people the opportunity to help each other by by shouting each other's successes and supporting one another. They find some very interesting ways to do it. <laughs> Gabe, I'm looking at you. I'm thinking of a specific one from someone else, though. We can talk about I mean, it after. Yeah, there's that. All I'm saying is. Numbers are nothing if you can't collect them mm-hmm. or if you can't trust their validity. Yeah. Right. And then once you have this data, you can chop it up in a spreadsheet a million and one ways to make it more or less meaningful depending yeah. on how you want to do it. So the key takeaways from today, before we wrap this episode, one, and obviously you got the list of five, go back and listen to them again. 
But one, make tracking easy, fun, something that's painless so that data collection is the least of your issues. That's the least of our issues. I don't know another way to do it other than how we do it. Exactly. And I've tried them all. That's the point here. We've tried them for you so you don't have to. So make it fun, make it engaging, get everybody involved. And that way you have the data at your fingertips. Then you need some kind of way to view it. You need to be able to access it when you need it so that you can make these predictions on the fly. Like you said, we've got the spreadsheet. We wish you could send, we could send you the spreadsheet. It is so large, there's no way we could get it to you. If you want to see it, you have to come to the Museum of J.T. Pitts and Associates and come see it for yourself. Come fly to Louisville and we'll show you the spreadsheet. <laughs> it's like the Rosetta Stone here in the office. It can't leave the office. So once you've got the data, you need a way to view the data. But the point, the big point is, number three, if you're not tracking it right now and you think you should be, you're correct. You should be. Yeah. And you need to start tracking it today. Find a way to track it and get it into the spreadsheet so that you can see it. Love it. That's it. It's, well, it's that simple, man. Exactly. It really, it really is. I don't like. I don't mean to truncate and like close up shop and say thanks, folks. That's all. Right, all. Bye bye. But no, seriously, it's that simple. Yeah. Like, if you don't like our five metrics, pick something else. Yeah. And if, if you, you want to track dials, go ahead. If you're looking, if you're looking for more reasons why, like I said, head to season one. You can go back in season one, scroll down, find the episode where we talk about key performance indicators. Also, all of our episodes that we're that we're doing this season are all on our YouTube page. So feel yeah. free to head over to YouTube to see full episodes where you can watch and send this to your team leader if you're not a team leader so that they know you want this stuff tracked. This is stuff that's going to impact your business on the individual agent le- level all the way up to the team level. Or track it for yourself. And just track it for yourself. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of team leaders that won't do it. They've got 30 years experience and they, they, they've always been able to find the business and they know they convert and they're just not going to waste their time doing it. Yeah, maybe that's you're fine. the next team Tra- leader. Track it for yourself. I mean, serious business folks, we're here to help you. I hope this information is very, is very valid. Um, check back off and we've got more episodes coming. We got lots of good ideas. I'll credit Gabe for coming up with this idea today. It's something that we do that is very, very unique to our team and we take it farther. When you mind the details, the details support your business. Absolutely. Well, you know where to find us. Feel free to shoot us any questions you have about the metrics that we track, but make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel and find us for our next episode. One last, one last plug. If you're here in Louisville, Okay, and you're listening to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, go find the Hour 502 podcast. Yep. Hour 502 is the new podcast we're producing for Louisville people. It's for Louisville, by Louisville. It's, it's entrepreneurs, industry leaders, thought provokers, influencers, all these types of people. Very interesting. We have an episode with Joey Wagner, the king of the Kentucky Derby. Um, you know, party scene, event planner, extraordinaire, just went live here recently. Great episode. We'd love you to check that out as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today. Until next time, this is Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. We'll see you guys soon. That's all, folks.